Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7, verse 24. The title of my message this morning is Building with Costly Stones. So the story of the wise and the foolish builders. So Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. One of the translations, one of the gospels says uh, that, that it fell down immediately, the house that was built on sand, when the storm came. This story is about wrong foundations. I have two sisters, and one of them lives in Girton in, near Cambridge. And um, she bought a house about 12, 13 years ago. And one day, a friend came round to her house, and he noticed that there was a massive great crack in the side of her wall. And he said, he was really worried, and he said, you really need to get that looked into. It looks like you might have subsidence and And so she looked into it, had a bit of a battle with the builders. Luckily, it was within the 10-year guarantee time of a new build. And after a lot of wrangling and probably waiting about three years, she moved out and the builders moved in and dug right back down to the foundations and put put it right. I don't know about, (laughs) I don't know what they did, but they sorted it out and now the house is safe to live in again. And this This is a good analogy for us to think about our Christian lives and how we're doing and to look at the foundations of our Christian lives that we have built our life upon. Are our foundations built upon the rock of Jesus Christ? Was the teaching that we had from those people who discipled us good? Did they work good foundations in our lives? Or do we actually need to examine those foundations and go about reworking them. So I want to look at some wrong foundations that we could have. A first one could be that we don't actually allow God to be in control of our lives. It's so important that we believe as Christians that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we give over to him control of our lives. When I came to Christ, I realized that I'd made such a complete mess of my life that I and all of the decisions that I'd made in the certainly in the last five years were absolutely stupid that I had no wisdom at all and that I didn't want anymore to be in control of my life I just didn't want that and so I found God and I decided and I thought that he was wise and so I literally gave the reins of my life to God and Since then, he's been in control, and I've found out that that's a really good plan. And (laughs) 
I don't want to take those reins back because since I've been a Christian, everything's sort of worked out all right. And he has been wise and he's, he's, give, he's led me by good, in good ways. But I find that Christians either don't want to give those reins to God. That's, that's the way I think about it. I think it's the reins of my life to control my life. And, or sometimes we give at salvation, we give the reins to him, but then we sometimes try and snatch them back because we think, well, actually, I don't want to do things God's way. But please remember that he is, he is wise and that he knows what he's doing and that we should allow God always to be in control. Another wrong foundation that we could have is that God is um, not to be feared, but God is a holy God and he is, he is to be feared. He's almighty. He created the heavens and the earth. There's no one to compare with him. And I, I hear some, some Christians saying, well, God's just got to do this for me, or he's just got to do that for me. But I, I often think, well, when we see him face to face on that amazing day, we're, we're not going to say to him, why didn't you do that for me? Why why did you let life go this way for me? What we're going to do when we see him face to face, we're going to fall down before him and we're going to worship a holy God. And that's the God we should be worshipping now, not thinking that he's actually our puppet and he should do this for us or that for us. And so we really, when we come before our holy God, we need to imagine him as we will see him when we see him face to face, on the throne, holy enthroned, surrounded by angels, worshipped by angels. We must not treat God casually. Another wrong foundation we could have would be that God is not actually that important, that he's what we do on Sunday when we come to church, and that throughout the week we can sort of do things our way, do what we like, say what we like. We can come to church on Sunday and ask for forgiveness, and then we feel good because we feel like we've done our duty but really, God must be first in our life, not just an attachment to our lives. So that's what we must always do. Put him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then we'll find that everything will go well for us because that's the promise in the word of God. Another wrong foundation that we could have is that the gospel is simply fire insurance. That when we leave this life, we'll wave our get out of hell free card just like, you know, Monopoly, you got a get-out-of-jail-free card. Some, I know a person who, does, who once gave their life to the Lord, and they don't go to church, and they don't live their life in a Christian way, but they believe that they're going to heaven, and I fear for that person. I fear for him. Will he really come and wave this card? I once was saved, but I didn't follow Jesus. I was not his disciple. So we mustn't think that salvation, uh, the, the gospel is just fire insurance. We must live our lives before God. Another wrong foundation we could have is that we have to work for our salvation. Salvation is a wonderful free gift from God. All we need to do is to believe that Jesus died on the cross for us. He took our place as sinners and that we can't work. Actually, we can't work for that salvation. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not for yourselves. It is a gift from God. We can't work for we We don't get presents because we've worked for them. We get presents because people want to give to us. 
And it's not by works so that no one can boast. We cannot boast in our salvation because we did not do the work for that. Jesus did it all for us. So those are just a few of wrong foundations that I've thought of. There are obviously many, many more. God, but the ones I've brought this morning are God, that God is not in control of our lives, that God is not feared, that he is not so important. He's just like an attachment to our lives, that the gospel would be a, like a fire insurance and that we have to work for our salvation. But a good foundation is that salvation is a gift from God. And we really need to, as Christians, understand and know what happened to us when we got saved. I can share with you, when I got saved, I got saved because I realized that I was a sinner. That before God, I was dirty, I was unclean. I'd done so many bad things. I'd lied, I'd done lots of horrible things. And because of all of those things that I'd done wrong, I couldn't come before God. There was a barrier between me and God. And as soon as I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and valued what he'd done on the cross for me, that barrier went away. And I was made clean before God. And I could come and run and be with my Father in heaven. So I became a Christian because I realized, because the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. He showed me my sin. But I didn't become a Christian because somebody told me that if I invited Jesus into my life, that everything would go well for me and that I'd have a great life. Because in fact, when we do become a true Christian, that doesn't, that's not what happens. Things generally get a bit worse, actually, and it can be very difficult because salvation is a free gift. But being a disciple of Jesus Christ is hard work and it should actually cost you everything. So difficult times do come, as I said, and I want to share one of those difficult times that I've been through with you. Peter and I got married in December 2006, and when we got married, we joined my little family of myself and Emily, my daughter, who is a 15-year-old hormonal teenager, with Peter. Peter's my husband. If if you're not usually coming here, he's, he's the pastor of this church. And I won't go into all the details, but just think, allow your imagination to run riot for a couple of seconds and think about what those difficult things might have been. (laughs) Peter was used to a nice, quiet, peaceful life. I had a hormonal teenager who liked to slam the doors and shout. (laughs) And it was hard. It was hard for everybody. I can't, I don't think that it was harder for one person than anyone else. It was just hard for everybody. During that time, um, I have a medical condition that decided to flare up during that period. And for about three or four months, I was in quite a lot of pain every afternoon. I don't know why it came in the, in the afternoon, but it just did in the pain. So I was in pain in the afternoon into the evening every day. And anyone who's had pain a lot knows that that can try your character, that can put pressure on you and can make you not so nice to live with. Um, and then, so we got married in December. At the end of March that year, my mother was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. And we were told that if she hadn't been diagnosed within two weeks, she would have died. And so that was a terrible, terrible time for me. Anyone who, who struggled with cancer in their family will know that it's 
devastating and you, you just sort of lose your mind and it was it was a horrible 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 time anyway praise god she's still well she had just that one time she she was diagnosed she has not been um in she's been in remission ever since for four, four and a half years ago and i really believe that the lord touched her and he healed her and she's still healed and uh, so that's wonderful but three weeks after that i um, was working in an organization i've been working there for six years and three weeks after my mother was diagnosed with leukemia i was made redundant and i'd been working there six years and i felt my job was very secure and uh i knew that people were going to be uh, made redundant that day and on my way into work i'd been praying for those people <laughs> little did i know that i'd been praying actually for myself and so once again the rug was pulled from under my feet and i just was sort of going around in a daze i just didn't but i just couldn't really cope and anyone who's married will know that that time was just as hard for peter as it was for me because when you're one difficult times for one equal dif- difficult times for the other so it was it was a hard time but during all of that time because my foundation was good in the word i knew that god knew what i was going through i knew that he wasn't looking down from heaven and going to jesus oh no look what's happened to jane she's really in trouble we better go and help her we better go and rescue her no he knew every blow that came my way he knew he allowed it to happen to me and he cared about everything that i was going through and i had to believe the words of romans 8:28 that say that god works everything together for the good for the good of those who love him and those who have been called according to his purpose and i knew that i loved god with all of my heart and i knew that he had called me according to his purpose just as he has called every one of you according to his purpose and so i had to hang on and even though i felt at times like i was going through the valley of the shadow of death in the words of psalm 23 his rod and his staff were my comfort during that difficult time and out of that time i've had i i came out of that time with so many testimonies of god's faithfulness and love and goodness to me on so many different levels that i could actually come out of it with the exception of my mother's illness of course being glad that i had gone through that because god worked all of that for my good and now life's so much better than it was then but it was hard to go through so if you're going through a hard time cling on cling on to those promises cling on to the truth in god's word and he will be faithful to you you know it was a friend who noticed the crack in my sister's house and i wonder how many of us are close enough to friends or family for them to notice the cracks in our lives perhaps that are causing our foundations not to be as good as as they should be do you have people in your life that are able to correct you who can say listen i heard you say this the other day and perhaps you really shouldn't that's not a great attitude to have or you shouldn't be doing that kind of thing we need to get friends around us good christian friends 
who will love us enough to tell us the truth when we really need to hear that. There have been a couple of times when Peter has done that for me, and it hurts at the time, but I'm so glad that I have him to do that for me. So I want us to, I want you to think about this morning, your foundations in your life. Are they good or do they need reworking? Do they need underpinning like my sister's house's foundations needed underpinning? Okay. So we don't just need to have foundations. We need to build on foundations. So I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians now. Aidan's going to put the words on the screen. It's 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 15. Paul writes, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he builds survives, he will receive his reward. Just read that again. If what he builds survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burnt up, he will suffer loss. He will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So, as I said before, the title of my message this morning is Building with Costly Stones. And I want to ask us this morning, which materials are we using to build our Christian lives? The hay and the straw remind me of the story of the three little pigs. Do you remember the story, the fairy's tale? The the pigs built with hay and straw and the wolf came and he huffed and he puffed and he blew their house down. But this life is not a fairy tale, is it? This is real life and we have one shot at building our houses, building on our foundations. And I want to share with you this morning, there are lots of ways that we can build on our foundations. But the way that I've found to be best in my Christian walk is always to say yes to Jesus. And that's not always easy to do. As I said before, salvation is a free gift. It was offered to us freely and we've freely received it. But salvation, sorry, but being a disciple of Jesus Christ should cost us everything. What did Jesus say? He said, if you will come after me and be my disciple, you must pick up your cross daily. And that is not easy. And if we're going to build with gold and silver and costly stones, that's going to cost us. It's not going to be easy. So I want to share with you some of the struggles that I've had in my Christian walk that have brought me to where I am today. I am the third of four children and I'm sure there's some psychological profile somewhere that says that I fit into it absolutely perfectly. <laughs> I follow the crowd, I, I'm terribly, terribly shy naturally and that's who, I, that's who I am. 
um, when we were growing up, when I was growing up in school, if the teacher would say, oh, we're going to read out loud, I'd quickly put my head down <laughs> so that I thought the teacher wouldn't be able to see me. And then, of course, they chose me to read out loud. And when they did, I stumble over my words. I go bright red in the face, and it was just awful. Then there are other occasions that I would go on. We'd go to France with my family, and my, my father noticed how shy I was, and, wanted, and I actually followed after him. But he wanted to try and bring, bring me out of that shyness. And so one day he said, right, we're, we're all going to ask, ask the ice cream man in, in France, in French, for an ice cream and I couldn't bring myself to do it because I was so shy and I chose to go without an ice cream <laughs> rather than and I wasn't trying to watch my weight in those days I was a child <laughs> I I was just so shy so that's that's the extent of my shyness but when I became a Christian and when I was filled with the Holy Spirit something changed in me something amazing changed in me I was still shy but there was a drive in me to push through that shyness. And um, so I just want to share a few stories that will probably give you a bit of a laugh this morning um, about how I, I got here. So when I, when I was, um, became the, the center manager of Christians Against Poverty, I had to promote the center. I had to tell people about the center and really push myself out of my comfort zone to do that. And... I was trying to get referrals from different agencies all over, all over Cambridge so that they would refer clients to, to our centre. So I got in touch with our local Christian, um, Citizens Advice Bureau and said, could I come and speak to their, uh, the people that do debt counselling in their bureau? And they said yes, but I didn't hear anything for two or three weeks. And then suddenly I was, one morning I received um, a phone call saying, can you come in half an hour? And just present what you do to to the people, um, to to our to, to to this meeting. So I w- rushed off to Sur- Sturton Street, and I was just expecting your regular volunteer to, to be there. Little did I know, there were 13 of the area managers from CAB, all from across the East Anglia, all sat there waiting for me to share what I do and I didn't really knew, know what I did because I'd only been doing it for three weeks and they've been doing it for 30 years each and I just felt so small. They didn't like what we, what we did as Christians Against Poverty because they'd heard about it from all over the country because they didn't like the evangelistic edge that we bought and I felt like I was really a lamb to the slaughter. And it was a very difficult time. But I stood up as a Christian. I said we were proud that what we did, as, as, uh, we were proud of us, ourselves for being Christians. And I, even though I, when I came out, I thought, oh, that really didn't go very well. I just felt God's pleasure on me just saying, look, you did what I asked you to do. And, that's, and for that, I was, and for that he, was, he was pleased with me. So uh, that was a tricky one. And then we come to me as a preacher. Um, when Peter first asked me to preach, I knew that I was coming after a preacher who I count to be an excellent preacher. I've heard lots of different preachers. I've heard world-class preachers, and I would actually say that Peter is even up there with them. And so for me, feeling like, well, I've got to follow Peter was quite a tall order. (laughs) So what I did 
was. And also, in the early days, when, when Peter wouldn't come to preach and somebody else came to preach, I used to think, oh, well, I wish Peter was preaching. <laughs> and I thought, well, if I think that, then what must everybody else be thinking too? <laughs> so he asked me to preach. And with all seriousness, if Peter asked me to preach, then actually God was also opening the door up for me to preach. And I'd made my mind up that I would always say, always say yes to any opportunity that God gave me. So I didn't just think of it as an opportunity that Peter was giving me, but that God was giving me. And that he, if he was giving me that opportunity, then he wanted me to do it. So I went away and I prepared my message. And, I, and then I sat down with Peter, as do all the, um, all the people that come and preach here except for guest speakers. They all have a time with Peter. He mentors them and, and helps them, them to shape the message. So everyone who preaches here, it's all their own material, but Peter helps us to shape it all. And so he's there behind the scenes. And so I sat down with Peter and, um, and then, so we decided this was what I was going to preach. So I went away and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and then I went away and I practiced some more. <laughs> and then the morning came that I was going to come and bring my first message and the church started to fill up and it filled some more and then it filled some more and it was, it was fuller than it is today, much fuller. And then, to my horror, a pastor walked in. A pastor who'd come to hear Peter preach. He certainly hadn't come to hear me preach. And I was thinking, no, Lord, please, just make him go away. <laughs> but of course, he didn't go away. The worship finished, the announcements were over, and it was me. I was on. I was standing here, shaking, <laughs> shaking, <laughs> totally out of my comfort zone. The first thing I said was, oh, I didn't expect there to be so many of you here today. <laughs> and then I said, what did you say? Then I start thinking, what did you say that, that for? They're going to think you're stupid. And then everyone's looking at me, expecting me to start speaking. And all I can think of is how stupid I must be looking. <laughs> so I start speaking. I'm still shaking. My mouth's gone so dry that I can't get any words out. <laughs> And everyone's looking at me, and they're waiting for me to speak, start speaking. So eventually I start and get into the flow of it. Also, but then a child starts moving over there, and I've lost my. And so I'm looking at the child. What are they doing? Oh no, I've lost my place in my notes. So there's a great big silence while I refine my place in my notes, and it was just a disaster. I just felt so stupid. And then everyone's just looking at me, bored out of their minds. <laughs> and I just think, they want it to be over. I want it to be over. Can't we just all just go home? <laughs> and then somebody from that side, a couple, stand out and walk out, stand up and walk out. And I think, oh no, they don't like women preachers. No, stop thinking, stop thinking. Look at your notes and get on with it. We all just want to go home. <laughs> and so it was just awful and I never in a million years thought that I would be standing here laughing about it I just I went home and I thought I'm never doing that again I'm not putting myself through it I'm not putting them through it I'm just it's just not for me and then a week or so later that pastor 
emailed Peter and he said, I just wanted to let you know that I just wanted to thank your wife for the message that she brought because God really spoke to me through it. And all of the, all of that, because I found it a humiliating experience, it wasn't a nice experience at all, but that all just melted away and I just felt so humbled before God that he would use me to, and what I just felt was such a mess, to speak to a man of God and to encourage him in that way. So the next time Peter asked me, everything inside me screamed out, no, don't do that again. Don't put yourself through it. But I didn't. I said, yes, thank you for asking me. It would be an honor. And I went off to practice again (laughs) for the new message. And had I not gone through all of that, and, and so that's just a way that that cost me to do, to do that. And every time that I speak, it's not a natural thing for me. Peter, he can come with a message prepared and God will speak to him and say, no, I want you to speak on this. And he'll just change his message just like that. And I don't know how he does it. Is he superhuman or something? I don't know how he does it, but he can do it because that's his gift. But it's not my gift in, the same, in that same way. So when I come, I have to work at what I'm doing. It gets easier every time, and I become more confident every time, but it's still something that costs me, that's difficult to do. But if I hadn't gone through all that, I wouldn't have been able to... Recently, I went on a missions trip to Africa, and I was able to preach there three times, and I, I had one of the best days of my life when 10 widows responded to the gospel and it was just amazing but if I hadn't gone through all of the times here then there was no way that I would have been able to do it there so it was worth all of that training and um and I just praise God and thank thank him for thank him for it everything I do I just want to please him and so if he asks me to do something I will always say yes to him because I love him and so I want to encourage and challenge you this morning and ask you what are you building your Christian lives with are you building for the kingdom or or are you not are you putting your time and your energy into other things other than the kingdom recently somebody from this church was struggling with what God wanted them to do with their life and after a lot of angst and prayer the answer that came back from God was that he wanted that person to support the vision of the local church, the vision that Peter has been given for this church. And that was music to my ears, to hear that somebody, another person wants to pull together with us in the vision of this church and go forward. We are all called to be living stones built together into the fabric of a local church. That's what it means. And that's what's so important. So, You might not preach here, but you can get involved in the day-to-day running of the church or the weekly running of the church. This week, I've, on Tuesday, for Aspire, because we're having the councillors come to meet um, in the evening here to, or in the afternoon, to come and uh, do, have a meeting with Peter. So for Aspire, we decided we were going to clean the church. So on Tuesday, I cleaned the church. And on Sunday, I'm preaching. Both are equally valuable in God's sight. Because on Tuesday, 
it, on Tuesday, the church needed cleaning, so I cleaned the church. Today, Peter's not here. He asked me to preach, so I'm preaching. But both things are equally valuable to God. So just we've got to look for openings. We've got to make our ears open to him. What is he asking us to do? It's so important that we're all connected into the local church. Another example is um, the street pastors. When they go out, they're sent by their local churches all over the UK. When you apply to be a street pastor, you need the endorsement of your, lo- of your local church pastor. And we like to support Aidan and Mel when they go out on the streets. We are sending them. We know the night when they're going to go out. We write it in our diaries and we make sure we pray for them so that they are covered, so that they are they are um, so that they know that somebody cares for them from the local church. So we all have to find our place within the local church. We need to build with gold and silver and costly stones. And if, as we do that, as I said before, it will cost us. It will be difficult for us. It will take our time. It will take our effort. It might take your money. It might not take your money. It depends if God asks that of you but it will cost you. And I'm not telling you this this morning because I want King's Church to be, to grow and to, to be strong, although of course that's what I want and that's what Peter and I have given my, our lives for now to, to do. But this morning I'm telling you because I care about you, because I want you on the day that you face, the, on the day that you come before God and the fire comes, I want you to receive a reward. I want what you've built to last, to stand, to be there, not to be burnt up, and that we just make it in by the skin of our teeth into heaven because that's what this, this word actually says and means. If we, don't build, if we build with hay and straw, if we don't build for the kingdom, we will still be saved, we'll still get into heaven, but we'll just make it without the reward. And I don't want to be like that, and I don't want for any of you to be like that either. Do you remember the story of Esau and Jacob? When Jacob, he wanted his brother's inheritance and he wanted his father's blessing. And he did it by deceptive means, didn't he? He got it, but his eye was on the prize all of the time. He must have been thinking about it all the time so that when the opportunity came, he took it. He grasped that opportunity And we need to grasp all the opportunities that God sends our way, keeping our ears open to what what he's saying to us. Because there is a reward. It's very clear in the Bible that there is a reward. I heard a couple of years ago some Christians saying that they didn't really know that there was a reward. They thought that it was just about salvation. But I'll read, as I'm coming to a close, I'll read from 2 Corinthians verse um, 5, chapter 5, and the apostle says, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it, for we all must must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So how do we work towards our rewards? Well, first of all, we must ensure that our foundation is good, what we're looking at at first. We we know the basics from the Sermon on the Mount. We need to be fasting, praying, giving, 
These are things that, that Jesus said that there will be a reward. Your father will, will reward you when he sees you doing these things in secret. We must be close to God. We must be grafted into the local church. We must be part of church life. That is what God has called us to do. And if you don't feel that you're part of church life, then you need to um, come and see what is it that you can be doing to build in your life some, some costly stones. What is it that you can be doing in King's Church? Just actually, this morning Phil was telling us about Costa, and he asked you to come along. But I'd like to even put that even stronger, that God is actually asking you to come along to Costa on the 7th of August. And you might not think that that's a big deal. You might think, well, if I come along, it doesn't really make much difference if I come along. But if everyone thinks like that, then nobody will come along. So please put it in your diary. Take it as an invitation from God this morning. And you might not think that that's a really building anything with with costly stones but it's all about saying hearing God and saying yes to small things and then we know in the kingdom that when we say that when we when he he knows he can trust us with small things then later on he'll trust us with bigger things so please if you don't do anything else from today go home put the 7th of August in your in yeah 7th of August in your diary and let's all come along and pack out that Costa coffee for the first Sunday night live so we must all, all seek first the kingdom of God. When we're close to him, we won't fail to hear that voice. But we must spend time with him. We must do all that we can to really push in to, doing, to, to, to hearing him and to responding to him. Some people read the end of the no, a novel, don't they? I never understood why people do that. But some people do like to find out what's going to happen. But we all must read to the end of the book of uh, to the end of the Bible, and one of the last verses in the in the, in the entire Bible, <clears throat> Jesus talks about rewards in Revelation twenty two twelve. He says, "Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done." Another translation says, "I will repay everyone according to his work." So there's a, there's a call and there's a plan for everybody. And the call is not only for the, pers- for the pastor or the person that is, goes into full-time ministry. The, there's, there's a plan and there are good works that God has provide, prepared for all, each one of us, to do. That's what it says in the book of Ephesians. And it's whether we hear the call that's the question, not whether there is a call. And it's whether we answer. So the way to get there is wholehearted obedience to the savior so we need to believe god's word this morning that there is a reward and we need to think what materials are we building with are you building with costly stones this morning gold and silver does does your christian life cost you something or not and if not then perhaps it's something that you need to go home and think about And I finish with the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Do it to get a crown, and they do it to get a crown that will not last. 
but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.